Hello and welcome to the Studio Rats podcast, episode number five. We're recording this on July 24th, 2010. I'm going to be heading out to some hopefully well-deserved vacation uh, tomorrow, so I don't know when this episode will be going live, but hopefully soon. My name's Matt, and joining me is Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Are you there? Hello, Matt. I'm here. Excellent. And how are you doing this fine and wonderful evening? Well, I have experienced a number of uh, hard drive failures today. So so it's been a great day. Yeah, it's impacted my mood just a little <laughs> bit. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to be following up on our discussion about recording electric guitar with a discussion about recording acoustic guitar. But before we get into the main topic, I did want to mention a cool new product that Apogee is going to be releasing. Jeff, I have to tell you today, I, I received a product preview email from Apogee, so apparently I'm in some super secret select group of email recipients or something. But actually, this product that they're releasing looks really cool. They're calling it the Symphony I.O. That's exceptional. They are going to send a pair of units for us to evaluate, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're in the mail as we speak. Uh, some of the features that they're touting for the Symphony I.O. is its ability to work with Logic, Pro Tools HD. It also has a USB 2 interface and some sort of Ethernet connectivity. The thing that really caught my eye is that it's going to have two slots that it looks like you can configure for what type of I.O. you need in your studio. It looks like at least to start they're going to have an I.O. module that is eight optical in and out and also an eight channel mic preamp. So it looks like a pretty cool product. Oh yeah, and I just loved this marketing hype here. Uh, this is a quote from the email. Totally updated and optimized circuit design takes Apogee sound quality to the next level. So they're saying your ensemble and your duet stink. Yeah, it's time to upgrade apparently. Wow. Gotta love well, this marketing hype. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say, I've well, we mentioned it before, but I've been really happy any time I've been able to use the the ensemble, or even the duet. Those are really top-notch converters. So if, if they've improved it, they must come out and make you a sandwich at the same time. <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, so anyways, this you know this is, they don't list a price in here, but I have a feeling this is going to be probably on the upper end of their price scale. I, I don't know. I'm It'll... looking at the graphic right now, and it's the type of box I would expect to have a 5K plus tag on. Do you think that's probably what they're doing? Yeah. Probably, yeah. I think it, they're probably shooting for the top of their product line. So it's kind of weird. It, it almost looks a, almost a little bit like what you would expect from like a hi-fi piece of gear. It doesn't really necessarily look like your typical pro audio piece of gear, but I'm glad to see that they've done away with the, you know, just the blue LEDs that they have on the ensemble for designating signal strength. They actually have the traditional blue, yellow, and red, which is going to be a lot more useful than just blue and more blue and more blue. But anyways, I did want to just mention that because it just came out and, you know, if you're in in the market for probably a really top-end um, set of converters, this might be something to keep your eyes open for in the future. Any uh, projects or anything that you want to mention that you're working on, Jeff, before we get into acoustic guitar recording? Well, I'm nearing the end, I believe, of the Mumble Project. So I'm working on the second to last full song tonight. Uh, I do have a couple of conceptual intro-outro pieces 
that'll probably take about as much work as a as a full tune to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm four songs. What what I would call four songs from the end. Yeah, the the two songs that I've heard so far sound great, and uh, look really looking forward to hearing the the rest of the album. Should be good. Yeah, it's a good band. They write good material, so that's been the pleasure of it. It's been a pretty protracted session. They've been feeding me a song at a time, and have gone back to the well and and recut lots of things. I mean, you'd think it would come out sounding like Frankenstein, but it's 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 going all right. But the thing that I like most about it is every time I get another song, I go, oh, wow, I really like this song. And so it makes it a little bit easier to kind of keep going forward. And I was afraid of getting to the ones that I didn't really care for that much. And, and this is song number 12, and I still like them all. So that's that's quite a testament to the, yeah, that's great. to the bands able to write and arrange songs. Yeah, well, hopefully when the project is done, maybe we will play a, a track or two on the podcast. and That's right. Then let, I can dish the dirt. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll wait till it's done. Yes, and manufactured, and there's there's no possible room for further changes. No going back. Well, yeah, the big thing here. I last weekend I actually got together uh, for my King Never project, which is has been a studio project for myself, and I got together with a bass player, and so we're starting to rehearse to, to get things together to put, to put a band together so that was pretty fun that was, this is my first time you know being the guitarist and front man of a band so I'm really looking forward to that we're looking for a drummer now and we're just going to do a little three-piece thing I think for now but that's been a lot of fun so far so I'm looking forward to, to that continuing and, and hope that things continue to sound well really good Let's go ahead and get into our topic of recording acoustic guitar. For whatever reason, it seems the majority of the projects that I've worked on as of late have been recording electric guitar, but I do have a tried and true method that I always use whenever I have to record an acoustic guitar. And this is kind of my standard starting point. And basically, I just, you know, I'll experiment with different mics, but it seems like I typically end up using a large diaphragm condenser or a ribbon mic, and I just basically position the microphone about a foot away from the guitar, kind of right at the spot where the neck meets the body, and nine times out of ten, that that's almost perfect. And I'll adjust the microphone a little bit. If it's a little too boomy, of course, I'll move the, move the mic back, or if I need a little more picking sound, I'll move the mic a little closer to the bridge, but... Yeah, that's kind of kind of what I've been doing. I've also experimented also with putting some a microphone like over the the shoulder near the shoulder of the player, and that has kind of always yielded some interesting results. You know, it's kind of like an overhead mic for the guitar, but it's it seems to pick up. You know, I guess that would be kind of the player's perspective, uh, but it seems like I never end up using that in the mix. So <laughs> yeah, it tends to have a little bit too much body or something yeah yeah do it that way well maybe not so much because it's not like you're miking the sound hole but more of the bottom end and more of the body without as much of the definition because you are placing the electronic ear above uh you know above the side of the guitar as opposed to where it's projecting i guess my perspective is a bit different because i have recorded armies of acoustic guitar and recorded entirely acoustic albums, you know, where everything literally was an acoustic instrument, including drums. So they were rock and roll albums, but we had acoustic bass. And 
Um, I made a record called No Outlet in 2001. That was the first time I tried it. And every track had, I think, six different guitars on it because I still wanted it to have a lot of, a lot of body, a lot of different tonal quality to it. And since I wasn't going to be playing an electric guitar through any sort of pedals or processing and I was going to use reverb but not overdo it, I wanted to get as many different types of acoustic guitar with as much character as I could. And, and blend those all in. And I th- actually think that's a very good sounding record. And um, it taught me a lot about what you're going to do when you're recording an acoustic guitar, depending on the type of arrangement you're putting it into. And especially the big pop tunes that had any type of jangle to them. Uh, I couldn't really mic them with large diaphragms or set up something over the top. I had to use small diaphragm and go on the neck uh, my general rule of thumb was to sit very close, you know, Mike, very close to the neck, but the uh, the capsule would be a few inches above the 15th fret, looking at about the 12th fret, and, and I'd have to be very careful not to rotate the sound hole toward the condenser, because as soon as I did, I would boom the mic. But if I didn't do that, um, I got a... I got a sound that blended very easily, and since I was using the small diaphragm condenser, it wasn't picking up as much of the bottom end, and that left a lot of room for the acoustic bass. So they, it was kind of like the crossover was just about the right place. And again, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with recording electric guitar is using your microphone choices as kind of a form of EQ. Of course, you kind of need to know where you're going with the mix, but that's a really good way to get, get the tone that you're looking for with, with minimal fuss. Right. If you wanted to record a Nick Drake-style solo record or a Mark Kozlik style solo record, the, you know, like his new Sun Kill Moon record, uh, you wouldn't mic an acoustic guitar that way at all because you would be missing all the rest of that body that's going to be featured when it's one instrument right. that's prominently occupying your mix. And then the large diaphragm options are better, or even you know a big tube mic if you're lucky enough to have access to one of those. Ribbons are really good at some distance. Um, another technique I have like to use when it's a less oh, when it's a more sparse arrangement and not quite so rock and roll is uh, either use a stereo mic or get an XY pair and you have one side of the XY pair point toward the bridge and one side point toward the neck and just basically try to point around the sound hole. You can pull it back a little bit so your player doesn't have to be chained down to the stool and, and put his back in a brace to make sure he doesn't push the sound <laughs> hole for the mics. But um, if you rotate the bridge side up a little bit to get the top of the body of the guitar, you can get a lot of really natural tone, but also a very wide space out of a single point source. So it won't give you a stereo guitar, but it'll, it'll give you a nice, big, clear sound. And of course, then you can, you can play with the positioning of those mics. You can either run them straight down the middle and your phase should be totally coherent if your capsules are very close together, or you can push it big and wide to have a nice big shimmer behind whatever else you're playing or behind the vocal. One thing to keep in mind with the XY pair is that if you are going to be panning those right and left, you really need to have the player be holding pretty still because any changes on on their position it could shift the stereo image and be unnatural sounding or it it could be something that could add that sense of realism yeah. to to the track 
for instance, I'm reminded of a Chris Whitley album, I believe it was Dirt Floor, where they basically just used two microphones for the whole album, one stereo microphone for voice and his resonator guitar, and they also had a distant mic just to add some natural ambiance. But because of the nature of using the stereo microphone up close, depending on how he was performing the song, his vocals would shift a little bit in the stereo image, but for that album it worked great just because it was cut live and it was really raw and honest and natural sounding. That's interesting. I think that might work better over uh, stereo speakers than it would in headphones. Another thing to keep in mind is a lot of guitars these days either have a magnetic or a piezo type pickup built in. And I will, if the guitar is equipped with a quarter inch output, I will track that output along with miking it up. I rarely use that direct source, but it's nice to have it as an option just in case. Yeah, I'll do that with electric bass, but never with the acoustic guitar. It never sounds right. I think the only... Uh, Oh, go ahead. uh, You know, I just caught myself saying something never sounds right. I think there's always a chance that some really bad, awful sound is going to be the right thing for something, so... You know, record that acoustic guitar dry straight out the pickup. Um, maybe you'll find the right application for it, or maybe with the right processing, you can make it come alive for something. But it'd probably probably be in the lo-fi emo camp. So, yeah, I have to say that that direct acoustic guitar track, while not sounding very good in most cases, I can remember at least one instance where it really saved the project that I was working on. I had, was working for a client who had tracked her songs live in the studio. She was playing acoustic guitar and singing and also had another acoustic guitar player. And during mixing, which was how I was involved with the process with the project, I actually didn't track it. I was brought in to mix it. Um, she wanted a chorusing effect on her guitar to kind of fatten it up a little bit. And of course, when we put the chorusing effect on the mic'd acoustic guitar tracks, it also put the chorusing effect on her voice just because of the fact that her vocals were bleeding into the guitar microphones and vice versa. So what I did was I took that direct acoustic guitar track, added the chorusing to that track only, and just snuck a little bit of it into the mix to fill out the acoustic guitar track just a bit. And the client was happy, and it ended up working really well for the song. I do remember working on another session quite a long time ago in Long Beach, California at Myro Lab, Myro Spatinsky's studio. And uh, there was, there was a, a guy we mutually knew from work who wanted to come in and record a couple of his songs. He wasn't what you'd call a committed musician. You know, he was just a guy that liked to get out and go play open mics once in a while and get a corona down by the beach. Um, so he wanted to record a couple of his songs. And when he came in, uh, and plugged in, or he, well, he wanted to plug in. He didn't want to just mic the sound of his guitar because micing the sound, of, micing his guitar and playing it back didn't sound like what it sounded like when he went down to Sharky's to play Jimmy Buffett tunes. He was used to the sound of the direct guitar plugged in through the PA and sounding, you know, all zingy without any body. That's what he. So, I guess there's your example. Somebody wants it to sound like that. They want it to sound like that. Yeah. In fact, there was an early or maybe earlier mid 90s album by Luca Bloom where you know I, th- I think he played played an ovation at that time and it was that typical ovation sound you know plugged right into the board and you know probably wouldn't be my first choice but obviously you know 
I think the whole album was done like that. So, you know, that might've been a similar situation for him too. He was just so used to playing live and hearing that sound that that, to him, that's how his guitar sounded and that's how he wanted his album to sound. So, Am I remembering correctly that, that one of the Rush live records from way back uh, has a version of Alex Lifeson playing the trees on an ovation that sounds just like that? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there was a time when that was new. So Yeah, and I, I remember, you know, back in the 90s, I had one of those ovations and, you know, it had a little three, built-in three-band EQ on it. And I was guilty of liking that sound at the time, but yeah, now I just listen back to some of those old demos, I just kind of cringe and go, yep, I remember when. Just tried playing that thing and it would it would rotate up every time I played it. Yeah, it was too slick. I don't know what they were thinking, but I guess they did. Paddle a boat with it, though. Yeah, <laughs> which is something you always want with it, you know, in your guitars, I guess. It can be handy on a you know, rough date if, the, if, you know, you get rough seas while you're out in the Paris <laughs> Hall. Need a hasty retreat for sure. Yeah, before we wrap up this discussion, we did receive a question from one of our listeners. Let's see here, Matt from the Time Card Band. All right, let me just go ahead and read his question. He says, just wanted to follow up with you guys about my guitar question. I'd love a nice white album style acoustic guitar like Julia or Rocky Raccoon style. Pretty basic, but I'd love to hear your suggestions. And I will admit, I am not the biggest Beatles fan. In fact, I wouldn't even consider myself a fan of the Beatles, so I am completely not qualified at all to answer this question. But, Jeff, I know you are a huge Beatles fan, so maybe you could... Love you anyway. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm glad you could overlook that. You know, I don't know what it is, but I grew up listening to my parents' Beatles albums, and since you know, probably junior high, I haven't listened to any Beatles music and I just haven't had a desire to, which is kind of sacrilegious because they were very forward thinking as far as their recording technique, but I don't know. Just for... Well, absolutely. You couldn't find a, a more progressive band for certainly for 40 years of recording building up to that point. Yeah, they were definitely on the cutting edge. A progression in seven years from... Please, please me to to Abbey Road. I would be not wanting to derail the Studio Rats podcast, but I would be surprised if there weren't something that you like listening to from Rubber Soul afterward. You know, particularly particularly Abbey Road, I would guess. Abbey Road and Revolver would probably be worth giving a shot just to see if there was something you could appreciate. About I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I probably should, but I don't I've gone I've made it this far, you know, and you know, I think I'm a fairly well-adjusted person. I just don't know that I need the Beatles in my life. Okay, it's like my aunt when I was a kid who swore she was going to be the last person in the world who never saw Star Wars. <laughs> You're like my aunt Rhonda. Yeah, well, uh thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, can you shed any light on this subject for for Matt? Here? I would think that uh that I'll say this about that. The discussion of this question may be premature, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. I went out today trying to find a few references at our local library, which is usually a great uh, set of resources for, for any sort of information search. But there's, there's a limited-run book called Recording the Beatles uh, that's just supposed to be exhaustive in terms of technique and uh, equipment used 
the locations used, so it, you know, it sets up the setting, it sets up how they recorded, you know, who played what, of course, that type of thing. But apparently that is currently only available online. Uh, the only copy I was able to find through the library was available used at Amazon for $300. So I was not able to tap that resource for information. However, um, there are a couple of resources that I can recommend. There's a guy named Alan J. Weiner or Weiner. I don't know how he'd prefer I pronounce his name, but it's spelled W-I-E-N-E-R, first name Alan, A-L-L-E-N, middle initial J. He's got a book called The Beatles, The Ultimate Recording Guide. And I do remember reading a very positive press on it and hearing about it from some of my engineering friends. And so I've got that on order through Interlibrary Loan, so I hope to have that as a resource for myself very soon. Uh, there's another, there's another well-regarded author named Mark Lewison. His last name is spelled L-E-W-I-S-O-H-N, and he's got a book called The Beatles Recording Sessions. Um, without having a chance to crack that book and look at it, I think the Alan J. Wiener book is going to be the more informative in terms of actual recording technique. But there'd probably be stuff to be learned from the Lewison book as well. I would just expect that one to be more of a chronology. So, you know, all three of the Beatles were present to record, blah, on you know, but but John never showed up. That type of a thing. Uh, but for the Rocky Raccoon style sound, my guess would be that they recorded that at Abbey Road Studio 2 in the great big room with you know those gorgeous acoustics that they usually uh, try to use on symphony orchestras, but the Beatles got to take advantage of them all the time. Probably with one large diaphragm tube microphone, probably set, I'd say, six inches above the level of the sound hole and a couple of feet away from, from George or Paul or whoever would have been playing that. On Rocky Raccoon, that was probably Paul. And so you could get in the ballpark of that with probably a large diaphragm condenser microphone and just I would probably not put it right up close to the guitar in the way that I was describing liking to mic acoustic guitars with small diaphragm condensers for very thick pop arrangements. But I would keep it on the high side. The lower you go toward the sound hole or underneath the sound hole, the more boom or body and bass you're going to get. You want some of that. Uh, you know, at the beginning of Rocky Raccoon, it's the acoustic guitar all by itself with Paul's voice. But I would cheat it toward the high side above the sound hole and pull it away a couple of feet and play it and listen and see if that's got the right kind of body. And if it's too funky or it's too dry, uh, then move it in and rotate it up a little bit higher. Yeah, the, the higher you go over the, over the top of your guitar until you're 45 degrees, you're probably going to get more bright. Another idea would be to, to try that technique I just explained. Uh, but get another large diaphragm microphone or maybe an XY pair and put it as far away and back in the room as possible. And you'll play to the close mic, but have your XY pair back in the room just trying to capture a more distant sound and blend that in. And give yourself some natural reverb rather than using canned reverb. And you might get a little bit closer to that Beatles sound because the sound of that record and a lot of the other material they recorded has a lot to do with the room they recorded it in. Cool. Well, those are really great, uh, great suggestions. And as with anything, it's move the microphone around and, and experiment. Yeah, you know, those techniques were interesting because those were people who, had to, who were trying to do an awful lot with limited technology. I mean, just the things we can do at the drop of a hat today, they had to innovate. So they had, they had to get around a lot of limitations to, to make some of those sounds. And so uh, 
that means you're dealing with the fundamentals, and there's probably a lot to be learned about fundamental recording technology or recording technique from that book. I would think it'd be really useful. Cool. Well, hope well, Matt. Hopefully, that gives you some ideas on how to capture that guitar sound and certainly some good resources to do a little reading on your own. If you're a big Beatles fan, that might be something that would be enjoyable regardless of whether or not you're trying to to copy, you know, or or emulate that type of acoustic guitar tone. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this edition of the Studio Rats podcast, unless you have anything else you want to add at this point, Jeff? No, I think I've rambled enough. Well, how can people find out more about you and your studio if they are interested? Uh, anybody can come visit me directly through the MarathonRecords.com website. Um, one of the listings right up the top says Jeff Elbel plus Ping, so you can click on that and find your way to me very easily. If anyone has any questions or comments about this podcast episode or any previous ones or maybe some topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at finleysound.com. And you can also follow Finley Sound on Twitter. And Jeff, I think you're on Twitter as well as uh, Jeff underscore Elbow. That's right. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. Thanks a lot. Hello, this is Matt in post-production. I wanted to thank the band Triangle Exception for providing the music used in this episode of the podcast. Be sure to visit their website at triangleexception.com. The song that you heard was called Olive Juice Part 2, and it's off of their album H-Town. Thanks a lot, guys. And if you're in a band and would like to have your music featured on the podcast, drop me a line at podcast at finleysound.com. Hey.